ವಸುದೇವಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣೂರಮರ್ದನ ಕೃಷ್ಣ ವಂದೇ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು So in the Bhagavad Gita we are studying the ninth chapter and in the ninth chapter we were on the 22nd verse that's right let me chant that chant that again ananyas chintayanto mam ye jana paryupasate tesham nitya bhiyuktanam yoga kshemam vahamyaham So this is the 22nd verse of the 9th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. And here Krishna is saying, those persons who think of nothing else but worship me through meditation, the accession to and maintenance of the welfare of such ever-devout persons I look after. All right. Uh, we had already started discussing this last time. Here Krishna is saying, the last part is remarkable. Yoga, Kshemam, Vaham, Miham. I mentioned it last time. It says whatever, the two words, yoga and kshema technical words yoga has so many meanings here yoga just means the literal meaning of bringing together yoga is bringing together so bringing together means what what we do not yet have and what we would like to have in the world and so getting what we do not have and kshema is protecting what we already have these are the two things people are doing all their lives we look outside in the city that's what people are doing keeping the you know whether it's uh, money or health or property or reputation or relationships trying to keep what we value we are trying to keep that and what we don't yet have in these dimensions we try to acquire uh, from the world and that's what people are busy in all their lives and krishna here is saying devotees who focus on me entirely the question might be if i focus entirely on god then what about the rest of my life i have to hold a job and uh, i'm not a monk i have to <laughs> i have a family to take care of um, you know maybe property house investments my own health and all insurance what not mm. so what about that and krishna is saying i'll take care of it for you um say, really <laughs> no you will keep doing whatever you're doing but you don't have to worry about that lay the burden of your worries your anxieties upon god god will take care of it provided there's a condition so that it's not that i become lazy you know all right so god's going to take care of it i'm going to relax do what nothing there's a new term called the soft life people want this new term called soft life people want the soft life soft life is you know taking it easy everything is taken care of. <laughs> but then uh, it's not exactly the, krishna is not recommending the soft life is is uh, all your time and energy focus it in sadhana as much as possible make god your goal god realization the goal of life the purpose of life if you have a job you'll still be holding a job if you come to an ashram and run away from the job and then come to an ashram they'll put you to work trust me i know <laughs> <laughs> they'll put you to work they'll keep you busy uh, so there is and it's good to work masharada here she used to say that in bengali kaj lokhi work is lakshmi the goddess of prosperity uh, so work is lakshmi keep 
your it keeps your mind and body um, you know fit it keeps your mind balanced and uh, body fit engage in work but all the anxieties you put upon krishna says give it to me i'll take care of it don't worry about it and he said vaham yaham i will i will carry it for you whatever you need and that cute story i told you last time about the great pandit who was coming writing a sanskrit commentary on the gita actually he was writing it on the whole mahabharata so when he came to the gita and this verse in the gita god says i will bear for my devotees for those who love me i shall bear for them i shall carry for them what they need um he said god is going to carry this that's against the glory of god you know god will grant god is glorious so god gives us what we need not carry so he cut it out in in the in the book instead of vahamyam vaham means to carry dadamyam dadam means means to grant in sanskrit he cut it out and put, and then we know the story of how uh, that pandit's wife he uh, she saw this uh, li- little boy who came with carrying food for their table they had no food and uh, but he had a red like somebody had caned him and a red stripe across his back and he said your your husband has done this and then the boy disappeared of course it was god and uh, the wife asks the husband why did you beat that little boy how cruel he said i didn't do it then he realized that pen that i scratched out in those days they had quills so i had scratched out that word so that is my offense no god does bear uh, for those who love god god loves you even more and god takes care of us however there is something to be understood here i mentioned it last time what we need god will give us and what we have god will protect so is god going to make us full proof against the movements of the market you know someone short sells you and then yeah, <laughs> your shares are protected against it will god do that if you worship krishna a lot will he protect you against the ups and downs of wall street no uh, will krishna give you what we need what you what we need, what what you need will krishna um, does he look through your um, christmas list like santa claus and bring you what you wanted again no then what does he mean he'll give us what we need and uh, protect what we have whatever is good for my god realize for my spiritual realization whatever is good for my spiritual life he'll give you need food clothing shelter you need protection and modicum of health and wellness till you attain god realization or you had advanced far enough in spiritual life god will take care of it you need protection from the elements protection from you know uh, that which will trouble you in spiritual life god will take care of it but he will not give you things if we want so many things in this life he will protect you from yourself vivekananda says do not desire anything why he says do not desire anything hyphen then he adds because you will get it <laughs> we think we will not get it and that's why we shouldn't desire no you will get it and that's trouble often you get something we get we have seen this and we realize years and years ago we might have wanted this now we don't want it at all it's bothered now we get it um again trouble problems in life who knows what is good for us in spiritual life a little bit of maybe a, a troublesome um, person in our lives uh, or uh, um, 
or a little bit of maybe even physical illness is it bad no not really not really it might be actually helpful in spiritual life depends on the person where they are so in that sense god will take care of us so god will help us to attain god krishna will help us to attain krishna but what's the condition he says nityabhiyuktanam those who are constantly engaged who who are constantly engaged in god with with god you know through meditation prayer study service worship music kirtan whatever it is they constantly engaged these persons they see everything in this world as god god alone appears as all of the living and non-living things in this world nothing here is apart from my beloved um lord my ishta devata could whichever form krishna here but whichever way you understand god nothing in this universe god is immanent in this universe in and through all beings living and non-living god is there i am in the presence of god when vedanta teacher put it very beautifully god in vedanta he says if god is out there so incomplete god a partial god if god is only within me god is within me people say it's cool to say it god is within within all of us god is within me incomplete god partial god god is not here in heaven only incomplete god a partial god god is only in deep meditation not with my eyes open incomplete god partial god god is only when i become enlightened then god is or god is only after death when i go to heaven then god is incomplete god partial god god in something that is limited in time in space or by object in sanskrit desha kala vastu parichinna limited by time space and object but limited by time we understand that um, then not now that's limitation in time limited by space we understand there not here limited by object objects means entities so that one is god but not all this god is unlimited all the time everywhere and in everything in and through everything and when nothing is there then also god is in fact then only god is so that is the complete god not a par- uh, not a partial uh, it is a complete god purna so, uh, he says in everything you must this devotee sees god and in all the activities which are going on in this world the work that we do and other people are doing the the play and entertainment and enjoyment that we uh, you know what we do for others the job that you are holding the and of course the rituals that you do in in your shrine and in the temple all of this work is the leela of god the play of god all entities are god and all activities are the play of god so this person is immersed in god and a very ancient verse i was referring to it some some class yesterday day for yesterday where it says the person in samsara is um, so unfortunate the, the ignorant one the one who is not realized uh, enlightened so unfortunate they are like they are 
they are people they, they are beings immersed in the ocean of nectar and they don't know it and they are looking to like they are like looking to the waters of a mirage for to quench their thirst i'll repeat that immersed in the ocean of nectar what does that mean we are immersed in god we are immersed in existence consciousness bliss all the time inside outside everywhere all the time it is one divinity alone always continuously radiant and shining forth we don't see it we don't see it at all and what do we do we are looking at the waters of a mirage to quench our thirst what is this mirage samsara what is the waters of samsara the chasing pleasure avoiding pain you know um accumulation of wealth satisfaction of sensuous desires this is the water of this mirage which we expect if i pursue it it will fulfill me somehow it will quench my thirst it never does it never does so such devotees they recognize that they are forever immersed in god and they're connected with god how they three things ananyas chintayantu maang ye jana paryupasar ye jana those literally people to so their many such devotees what do they do first of all ananya three things ananya chintayanta upasate ananya means not anything else that means turning away from the world na anya anya means other than god other ananya not other turning away from the world from people from activities from pursuits not literally turning your face away that's rude <laughs> what are you doing i'm turning away from you to, towards god no turning away from the world means not seeing the world as world seeing the divinity in all beings in all activities so turning away from the worldliness after all when i say god is everywhere and in everything that means this world here itself so if you turn away from this where will you turn so turn away means not look not upon this world as samsara see god the same the same divinity with whom you worship the beloved in all beings that is ananya so turning away from the world from the other from the mirage turn away from that then chintayanta chintay literally means thinking of thinking of so the second thing is once you have turned away from the world what have you turned towards you have turned towards god so your deity repeating the mantra of your deity Uh, prayer to the to your ishta devata um, outpouring of love singing the names of god reading about god and and um, you know the saints and the spiritual people um, chanting mantras there's so many ways devotional music service to all beings so service will come later so chintayanta means dwelling on god talking about god don't be a bore <laughs> um so talking about god reading about god meditating upon god in whichever form we um, our practices and then the third one is paryupasate so here service comes in so our activities should be the service of the lord so to worship the lord through our actions so these three things turn away from worldliness dwell on god in your mind heart and in your activities worship the lord through seva paryupasate is seva so this worship the seva can seva means service it can be ritualistic and it can be uh, actual service uh, to humanity the seeing divinity in them it could be worship also you do ritualistic worship 
in your shrine in the temple that's also paryopasate and you actually you go out there uh, and uh, do something for people or you know any sentient being it could be animals also plants also when you do something for them it could be you going to a soup kitchen and feeding the hungry and the homeless or it could be just yourself you cooking and setting out the table for people in your family and um, and feeding them for you it's the same divinity everywhere and that your that's your offering um or yourself when you're feeding yourself that's also an offering there's god present as the fire of hunger in the tummy <laughs> and i'm pouring like the you know the imagery is of a vedic fire sacrifice the fire is lit and the priests pour oblations so i'm pouring oblations in there some kind of visualization which connects my activities to god all the activities that we do as long as they are not outright immoral unethical everything can be done or connected with god so that's paryupasate these three are the explanation of the word nityabhiyuktana nityabhiyukta means constantly connected with god how in three ways one ananya turning away from god nothing other than god that's one two chintayanta dwelling on god think pray japa repeat the uh, mantra uh, meditate study whatever it is the mind and the heart are on god that's second third action paryupasate my service to god in the sanskrit word bhakti we always say bhakti means love of god devotion loving god but the etymological meaning of bhakti the root grammatically it comes from bhaj sevayam to serve so it's not just a nice uh, feeling about god you know we have a warm feeling about god no actually to do something to be translated into action and i i remember this because this is i heard 16 17 years ago in the himalayas studying under a monk there in gangotri and he was teaching us an quite a non bhakti text that is ashtavakra gita most radical non dual text so this sadhu um he has passed away now lakshman das ji he was a traditional sadhu um punjabi so he had come from what is now pakistan after the partition of the country he came straight from there and crossed all over north india which went straight to the himalayas and he stayed there the rest of his life now he said when i i um i was uh, um under a guru and i was a young monk now it was my habit to go around and looking for the old monks and see what i could do for them who wanted a, um, a comforter in in hindi they say rajai that is sick uh, like a blanket or who wanted a cup of milk who wanted medicine so whatever i could give or help them so i'd go around to the huts and the caves and and my guru scolded me once he said do some spiritual practice you're just you know being a busy body uh, in hindi he said lakshman das kabhi thoda bhajan bhi kar liya karo do some bhajan sometimes but just bhajan means devotional practices you're just going around and then he thought he told he told us he said i that saddened me i thought am i wasting my time uh, and then when in the sanskrit class we learned bhaj sevayam the the word bhakti bhajan it comes from to serve 
to serve. And I, my heart was gladdened that I'm doing the right thing. This is bhajan also. This is spiritual practice. So yes, to serve God in all these ways. For such people, Krishna says, I take care of them. I take care of them. If you, my Lord, are in all the gods which are worshipped in the Vedic sacrifices. So you remember the ancient Vedic religion, fire sacrifices, and there were deities, Indra, Chandra, Varuna, and all of them. So Arjuna is thinking that if you are in all of them indeed, then why is it that those who are worshipping them through Vedic fire sacrifices, so why don't they attain moksha, enlightenment? You're saying that those who attain to those who worship you will attain freedom, moksha, enlightenment. Why don't they? You said that they, uh, if they worship like that, they will go to heaven. You remember the yeah, last time we studied? They will go to heaven and stay in heaven for a long time and again will be reborn and they will keep coming and going in the samsara. But why? Because you said you are them, them also. You are everywhere. So those gods said you are also those gods. And they, people are worshipping those gods. Those religious rituals people are doing with faith. With real devotion, sincerely. And they are good people. So why don't they attain enlightenment? Why doesn't everybody, everybody who is religious in some way attain enlightenment? Why only people who are focused on God with a capital G with you, on you? So answer, 23rd verse. You can repeat after me if you like. Yeapyanya devata bhakta Yeapyanya devata bhakta Yajante shadhayan vitaha Yajante shadhayan vitaha Tepi mame vakanteya Tepi mame vakanteya Yajantya vidhipur vakam even those devotees of other gods who worship them endowed with faith worship me alone, O son of Kunti, though in an unauthorized way. Now what's this? This is an answer to the possible question that uh, so all religious people, basically if you make a general question, if you leave the Vedic thing out, out of the equation, generally a lot of people go to temples, churches, mosques, a lot of people are religious in some way. So why doesn't everybody become enlightened? And Krishna's answer is, there's something to be understood. Religious is not equal to spiritual. Religious is not equal to spiritual. What is it that we want? There is one way of being religious, the mass religion, the conventional religion, where my belief in God is to make my life better, easier. I want certain things to turn out the way I want them to. I want to win the lottery. I want people to treat me nicely. I want my diseases to be cured or to be safe in this world. And God will do all that for me. A lot of people believe that and they have faith. And there's nothing wrong in that. But Krishna is here making the distinction. Yes, all those prayers, they will come to me also. But notice what they are praying for. They will get what they are praying for. In the Bible, again and again, Jesus Christ says, they have their reward. Uh -huh. Those who pray, for example, he says, in an ostentatious way, in showing, you pray in secret, and your Father who is in heaven and who sees in secret will reward you. And they who pray in the street corners with much words, you know, they have their reward. 
which is what means you get what you want when you go to go to god you have they have not come to god for enlightenment god realization moksha nirvana salvation no 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 they have come to god for money for um, you know worldly happiness for uh, curing diseases success in business whatever it or politics big big one politics two kinds of people turn up in regularly in temples in india one is students before examinations and politicians before elections <laughs> so yes and they want it they want they want want um um success in the world and krishna says they will get success in the world i'm not saying it doesn't work it's superstition no 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 they will get is it guaranteed not guaranteed there are many factors involved yeah. there is um, um you know once past karma is involved there so if everything is according to karma why should i pray to god at all no that praying to god also does change my karma so even a person who's worldly who wants things in the world to turn out the way they want it to be it there is a point to praying it's not just oh it's all coming from my past karma so i won't do anything god will give me what i what what's coming to me anyway no if i want something more and i pray for it it does make a difference but it's still worldly it will keep me trapped in this world where do i get all this so the commentators make it clear this commentator shridhar swami he he explains avidhi purvakam not in an authorized way so here the technical term is vidhi vidhi means um the injunctions of the vedas in karma kanda there are do's and don'ts vidhi nisheda do this do these rituals if you want to go to heaven or all these things do not do these immoral activities so this is uh, given these are the vidhi nisheda vidhi do's nisheda don'ts injunctions and prohibitions now the people who follow the vedic religion they might criticize the devotees of krishna that look we are the guys who are following the injunctions of the vedas the vedas tell us to do these sacrifices and we are doing it you are the one who's not doing it you are you know chanting the name of krishna and dancing around so you are um, uh, not following the vidhi the injunctions of the vedas krishna is saying no there's something to be understood here those who follow those injunctions they are not looking for moksha they are not looking for liberation they are not looking for god they are looking for what the world so avidhi purvakam this commentator explains avidhi avidhi purvakam means moksha prapakam vidhim vina without the the desire to attain moksha without the desire for god without the desire for liberation without that desire they are worshiping they have other desires which makes them worship god so they get that that's why by worshiping all these other rituals and pujas even though i the lord one ishwara bhagavan the one god is everywhere but they will get what they want not me um one sadhu put it very nicely he said in every human being there are these three rivers these three streams running all the time gyan dhara karma dhara bhava dhara gyan dhara means the stream of knowledge what we know what we have learned what we know what we understand 
you know, science and art and spirituality and religion and philosophy and all. That's what we know. That's what I understand. And then karma dhara, what I do in life. What's my job, um, you know, my daily life. How am I spending my time? What am I doing in life? Karma dhara, the stream of action. But third, bhava dhara. So bhavadhara is, how do I translate, bhava is an inner disposition, inner attitude, what I truly want deep inside. Based on my past samskaras, what is it that motivates me? What do I want deeply? That is most important. And, and Sadhu, he said to a devotee who had come, very beautifully, he said, I'll tell you in Hindi and translate. आप क्या करते हो क्या जानते हो इसमें हमको कोई दिलचस्पी नहीं आपका भाव क्या है बताओ what you do like what's your job and what you do what do you know what have you learned what books have you read i have no interest in knowing these things but what do you want from inside what is it that you really want tell me that bhav kya hai how do i know what i really want it's interesting it's, it requires a study of the mind what really pleases me and makes me happy honestly inside again asadu put it nicely kutta kiske liye pooch hilata hai for whom does the dog wag its tail <laughs> for whom does so whom does the dog wag its tail whom it likes you know mm-hmm. so the dog uh, wags its tail for the, he says does it wag the tail for does the dog wag wag the tail for For in, in Hindi, he said, colloquial Hindi, Sajji ke liye, Pandit ke liye, Sadhu ke liye. For whom does it wag the tail? Is it wagging the tail when it sees a rich man, a powerful person, a scholarly person, a talented person, or a spiritual person? Where does... So what, what attracts our mind? What honestly makes me happy? Often what happens in spiritual life is we think, this is good for me. I'm convinced, so I'm doing it. It's good for you, but is it nice for you? You might ask, but suppose it isn't nice for me. I don't feel particularly happy, but I'm still doing it because I know it's good for me. What will happen? You'll still get the result of it, but it'll take a longer. It'll be mechanical and hard going for a while until you begin to like it. Once you like it, you have no more fear. Once one likes it, there's no more fear. Sri Ramakrishna put it this way. He used to live near the river, the Ganga. The river would be flowing in a current. And you would see these fishermen who would go out on their little boats. So when they set out from the river bank to the river, inside the river, um, they would have to row mightily with their bamboo poles, work really hard. But when they hit the current, he says, the fisherman just sits. He gave a nice example. He sits holding the rudder of the boat in one hand and smoking the tobacco hubble bubble in the other. And the boat sails along merrily. <laughs> in spiritual life, he says, you have to work hard at the beginning. But afterwards, you catch the current. It becomes much easier. Then it's a habit, more or less. Then you try to stop it also, you will not feel like stopping. Because then you, don't, you can't imagine your life without that. I remember we were novices once in our main monastery being trained, under training, newcomers. So there's a very senior monk, very devout, saintly person. He was telling us, trying to inspire us, you know, he's telling us, imagine, suppose you are told today that you cannot think about Sri Ramakrishna today. It's not allowed. How terrible it would be, how upsetting it would be, how impossible it would be. We were thinking, hmm. 
for him. <laughs> we are trying to get into the current. <laughs> we are trying to maintain it with effort. For him it's effortless. It's, to stop it will take effort for him. So he says, Where were we? Twenties. Yes. Huh. So, it is only those who want God-realization to at least a little bit, or at least they are sold on the idea, like we are all are. As I say, that even if we don't intensely want it, we want to want it. And that's good enough. So we are in the group which moksha prapakam vidhi. Those, those who are on the path of moksha. We are, we are seeking liberation, enlightenment, God-realization, whatever it is. And then the 24th verse. Sri Ramakrishna says, Amhi sarvayagyanam Aham hi sarvayagyanam bhokta cha prabhurevacha bhokta cha prabhurevacha natumam abhijananti natumam abhijananti tatve natascha vantite tatve natascha vantite i am the enjoyer and the lord also of all sacrifices but they do not know me in truth, therefore they fall down. So, I am actually, all worship ultimately comes to me. God alone is the power behind all deities. Even if you are worshipping a particular, you know, performing a particular ritual for a fulfillment, you know, I want money or I want to win an election or whatever it is. Even that worship also comes to me, Krishna says, to God. Again, you know, I'm using the word God. In Vedanta it means Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, Bhagavan. So it comes to me. However, such people do not know me in re reality and do not want to know me in reality also. They want the world. If they want the world, they will get the world. So that's why he says, Tattvena Atashchavantite. Tattva means, though they do not know me in reality, that I am Brahman, I am God, I am their inner self, and by attaining me, they attain to fulfillment. These things they don't know or they don't believe, they are not interested in. They are interested in the world, they want particular things in the world, they want their life to be this way and not that way, and that's why they come to God. That's the only difference between um, the theist and the atheist. That atheist also is worldly, wants the world to be this way and not that way. And only thinks that there's only worldly ways of doing it. There's no such thing as a God. So pursues a worldly goal through worldly means. And the theist, the one who believes in God, but in a worldly sense, that person also wants the world to be this way and not that way, but also believes in addition to worldly ways, there is a power behind everything. There is an intelligence, a great force, uh, the one which controls everything. And by the blessings of that power, I will attain my worldly goals. But all of them, they do not know me in truth. 
What is, what is it to know me in truth? That I am the one creator, preserver, destroyer of the world. I am the goal of all. And attaining me, one goes beyond suffering. And also, in an Advaitic sense, I and you are, we are one reality. So this ultimate secret, they don't know this or they are not interested. So they fall from the truth. They fall from the truth means they continue in this cycle of birth and death. They continue in samsara. But they, but if someone knows this truth, the commentator here, Sridhar Swami says, I'll read the Sanskrit and translate. But suppose someone is doing rituals, but knows behind all these rituals, behind all these worldliness, there is one God. And everything, my ultimate goal is God and not this world. The Sanskrit here is, Yetu sarva devatasu antaryaminam pashyanto yajanti tetu navatanti Whatever mode of your worship, if you know behind that same deity, behind and all behind all these different rituals, whatever your religion, wherever you're worshipping, if you know that behind it is this one divinity who's behind this entire universe, who is the foundation of this universe and my innermost soul, Antaryaminam, the, the inner controller. Then even through these rituals, the same rituals. You will attain to God and you will not come back into this samsara again. You will attain moksha. So it's not actually against uh, ritualistic worship or even against Vedic rituals. But one must know what purpose it is for. We get what you want. In fact, it's very interesting that um, Houston Smith, who wrote that wonderful book, Religions of the World, he was um, inspired by his disciple of Swami, Sat Prakashanandaji the founder of the Vedanta Society of, uh, of St. Louis, where Swami Chetananji is now. Um, so he wrote this wonderful book, The Religions of the World. And the first chapter is Hinduism. And in that, he was saying that, he writes, I was trying to find a, you know, one key which will unlock the whole of Hinduism. It's very difficult, because Hinduism is so diverse, so wide. Uh, I always say, whatever question you ask, in Hinduism, the answer will be yes and no. Do the Hindus believe in God? Yes and no. There are Hindus like the Sankhyans who don't believe in God. In the, even the Vedic rituals, the Karmakanda, in the Vedas itself, the Karmakanda, the ritualistic portion of the Vedas, they believed in the power of the Vedic mantras. The individual deities were not as important as the Vedic mantra and the ritual. They believed if the Mantras were chanted properly and the rituals were performed properly. The, the devatas, the deities, would give the results. The point was not God or the gods. It was the, the Vedic ritual itself or the mantras themselves. So there, were, there are and there were Hindus who were not particularly uh, God-oriented or theistic. Is God male in Hinduism? Yes and no. God is very much female. <laughs> And beyond gender, and both male and female, Ardhanarishwara. I was surprised to see the classic Ardhanarishwara image, Shiva and Parvati together in, in uh, one image. And I found it, you know, where, in the most surprising of places, in the Harvard Business School, <laughs> on the lawn. <laughs> this is a big sculpture of, uh, in Boston, the Harvard Business School on the lawn. Uh, some, it was some exhibitions. So. Um, 
So all these are there. So such tremendous diversities are there within Hinduism. How do you have one common theme in Hinduism? How do you explain Hinduism through one common? But he did it. Houston Smith does it. He says, one way of understanding Hinduism is that Hinduism tells us you can have what you want. Immediately I can see so many smiles. That's a nice thing. <laughs> you can have what you want. But then he says, immediately the question arises, the great question arises, what is it that we want? And getting what you want, you will get what you want, but then you have to be ready for the consequences also. What is it that you want? And then he saw how nicely he progresses. He says, Hinduism then next says, what we want, that also will help you with. What you want are four things. Dharma, Thakama, Moksha. You want pleasure, fun, happiness in this life. That's Kama, fulfillment. From the grossest sensuous desires to the most subtle, you know, artistic desires. Fulfillment of all the refined. From the grossest desires to the most refined kind of sensuous pleasures. pleasures. Yeah. All of it can be uh, fulfilled. That is Kama. That's the range of desire. Artha. Not pleasure. Not having a party. How many people? New York is so busy. You know, the city that, that doesn't sleep. So are they all partying all the time? No, most people are working all the time. So what are they pursuing? Not fun. They're pursuing um, artha. Uh, that is prosperity, money, wealth, success in this world. So that's the second thing. Notice, it says Hinduism says this. Yes. Then third, dharma. Dharma is morality, ethics. An ethical and religious view of life. We want this. Do you really want this or are we told to want it? No, what happens is prosperity and pleasure in life, we instinctively want it. No, we don't have to be taught by religion to want it. Yeah. Nobody has to be taught. You don't have to go to class to say to learn that you know it's nice to have a party. Mm. No, it's instinctive. Pleasure seeking is instinctive. Yeah. Then what, what does religion do? What can religion contribute here? Religion can show us if you this, this is what you want. What's the ethical, sustainable way to do it? Because if you do it without religion, without dharma, it's no longer ethical, it's no longer sustainable, even for one person. I've often quoted this, Somerset mom, uh, his, uh, if you chase pleasure, if you, uh, if you chase pleasure one-pointedly, then very soon you find nothing is pleasing anymore. If you all you do is chasing pleasure, very soon you find nothing pleasing anymore. Um, and time is going away. Very soon you find even the things which gave pleasure, our capacity for enjoyment is limited. Our tastes keep changing first. Satiety follows very fast. So all of this. Pleasure has very serious uh, consequences, pleasure seeking. So has money seeking, wealth chasing, dollar chasing. It has serious consequences for our moral health, for um, society, family, for the economy, for the world. All of it has, has serious consequences. And who knows it better than New York? <laughs> we go through these booms and busts. Um, so what religion can do, uh, this, uh, Houston Smith says, it puts a uh, restriction around it. Morality, based on ethics. We come to realize that we, it's good to pursue what you want in life, but as a decent person, as a moral person, as an ethical person. And luckily, most people are like that. 
there are people who want just pleasure and you know success in the world and they don't care as long as they're not caught by the IRS or the police they can just can do anything and there are lots of such people but not in majority thankfully otherwise society would collapse notice even people who are like that they would want others to be not like them they would want others to be law abiding even the greatest of thieves wants others to be honest doesn't want to be stolen from himself so ethics is introduced so when um, hinduism talks about kama or the pursuit of pleasure art or the pursuit of um, wealth it's all within dharma that's why we always say dharma artha kama we never say kama artha dharma dharma first and then the pursuit of your worldly goals so religion has a role there are rituals god is there to help you to get what you want there are the temples and but that's all lower because that will never lead to freedom that will never lead to uh, peace happiness satisfaction it will trap us in samsara and we keep going round and round in samsara till we learn the lesson that by pursuit of worldly goals nobody has ever found happiness in this world so the real goal of hinduism hustin smith says is moksha that's what hinduism actually wants to tell you that you there is a way we don't instinctively want moksha we don't want it we instinctively reach out towards the world then religion teaches us what what is the moral way ethical way sustainable way of reaching out towards the world and then shows us that there's a limitation to that it will never be deeply satisfying reach for moksha and how to reach for moksha then he goes into gyana yoga raja yoga bhakti yoga karma yoga so it's a very uh, beautifully developed chapter simple elegant and yet pretty authentic uh, so that that was used in smith religions of the world then a further point he makes 25th verse yanti deva brata devan yanti deva brata devan pitrin yanti pitri brata pitrin yanti pitri brata bhutani yanti bhutejya bhutani yanti bhutejya yanti madhyajino pimam yanti madhyajino pimam so um the worshippers of the gods go to the gods the worshippers of the manes go to the manes the worshippers of the spirits go to the spirits and my worshippers to come to me basically this is the idea that there are those who do ritualistic action and they after death they will go to the worlds where their forefathers are pitriloka it's called pitriloka will re- lead a moral life religious life you go to the world of the forefathers stay there until your karma credit is exhausted and you come back into this world those who lead a higher religious life devotion worship but the goal is still the world then you go to a higher plane devaloka and they too if there is god realization is not the goal they will again come back to this world but he says those who worship me god the capital g ishwara bhagwan krishna and they will attain to me which means what's the difference all the others they will still be in samsara a better kind of samsara if you are a ritualistic uh, you know vedic ritualist if you are a vedic upasaka meditator or uh, you know basically you are a moral person 
then your samsara will be a little better than others. Still samsara and still bound to be exhausted and come back to this world. Whereas those who worship God in devotion, they will attain moksha. In this life or the next, definitely moksha is guaranteed for you. And that's what Krishna is teaching here. Next, there are three, actually, several verses after this which are very beautiful. Shows you how to worship God through things, objects, you know, by giving everything to God. How to worship God through actions, by doing everything for God. And then after giving everything and after doing everything, you offer the results of that. Because as you know, Hindus are very big on karma and results of karma. I do this and what is the result of that? Well, you offer all the results to God also. I don't want anything from, you know, like personally gain anything. I don't want anything except God. So, the mother, she was uh, in the bank of the Ganga. Somebody was there, either a sadhu or, or, a, or a beggar was sitting there. And she had some fruits in her hand. She gave it and she, to that man. She said, so, my child, take these fruits. And the fruits of this giving also I give unto you. Mm-hmm. Don't want anything back from it. Vivekananda says, give, give and do not look back. Whoever, whosoever looks back, their ocean dwindles to a drop. So, um, that is giving up the results of my giving, whether it's objects or action. That will be talked about. And um, then, the extreme power, the speed with which spirituality, devotion to God transforms a person, that will be talked about. Even the worst of sinners should be considered a sadhu the moment that person develops devotion for God. Because why? Why would that be so? Because he would be transformed very fast into a, a saintly person. So the great transformative power of spirituality also will be spoken about. So when you, a series of very beautiful verses is coming. All right. I'll have to wrap up. Toronto awaits. <laughs> Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupa Namastu